This is an ABC podcast. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Rowena Cox. Um, I'm from Halls Creek, which is up in the Kimberleys in WA. Um, I'm a Jaru woman. I'm a community liaison officer in the Kimberley Aboriginal Suicide Prevention Trials that's happening here as we speak. It's all in the mind in this NAIDOC week 2020. I'm Lynn Malcolm. It's estimated that Australian Indigenous suicide rates are at least double the general population. And amongst the young, it's five times higher. Today we hear from researchers, practitioners and those with lived experience who are dedicated to stemming the tide of suicide in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. If you're disturbed by anything in today's program, you can call for support on Lifeline 131114. I lost my son to suicide back in 2012. He was 19 years old. He was going through his own personal issues, such as drug and alcohol problems, also relationships problems. Wasn't aware that he did, he had a mental health issue, but he did seem a bit down at the time before taking his life. Um, yeah, it was very devastating because back then I I did not realise all the issues. I mean, I was actually going through a lot with my own personal life, and I didn't really notice all the issues that he was confronting until after he had passed away when I came to the conclusion and I got closure on what was happening in his life at that time, which I discovered, you know, was the effects of drug and alcohol and also relationship problems. Rowena Cox, more from her shortly about her passion for suicide prevention amongst her people. Uh, Jacqueline McGowan-Jones, I'm the CEO at Thiddly Limited and we deliver the National Indigenous Postvention Service, which is support after suicide for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and communities. Thank you. How would you describe the current incidence of Indigenous suicide in this country? Uh, unacceptably high and a crisis for our communities. The issues for me and for our organisation are that we're not seeing a reduction in suicide for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. We see that there are still a significant number of young people. So of the incidents that have been reported to us, and I need to stress that not every incident is reported to us, but of the incidents reported to us this year of 76 completed suicides, more than 50% of those were people under the age of 35 and the youngest was a nine-year-old. So the numbers are absolutely tragic. We've had 11 children and young people aged under 18 take their own life this year. Eight of those were male and three were female. There is a considerable concern about the increasing number of females taking their own lives. The challenge, I think we have for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people taking their own lives is that we have 
young people far exceeding the numbers in the broader population. The broader population tends to have suicides in the over 40 age group, but in our populations, they're in the under 35. Jacqueline McGowan-Jones, CEO of Thirily in the Northern Territory. Professor Pat Dudgeon is a Bardi woman from the Kimberley. A leading figure in suicide prevention, she's a psychologist and Posh Research Fellow at the School of Indigenous Studies at the University of Western Australia. She explains the key drivers for this Indigenous suicide crisis. All suicides, whether they're Indigenous or not, have a whole range of different issues behind them. For Indigenous people, though, we do have elevated suicide rates, and we're not alone in that. Across the globe, in countries that you'd call settler countries, where there's an Indigenous population that have been colonised by um, a dominant society, there is a high suicide rate. For us here in Australia... There's a whole range of different issues, but it could be, you know, relationship problems, either conflict with a partner or relationship breakdowns, family, interpersonal conflict. There's bereavement, depression, anxiety issues associated with alcohol or substance abuse, involvement in the justice system or pending legal matters. There's grief and loss and intergenerational trauma racial discrimination which adversely impacts on social emotional well-being of individuals and lack of access to appropriate and culturally safe support services. Indigenous people are the most disadvantaged population group in Australia. There's a history of colonisation that has led to this situation where people had their country, their lands taken away. They were moved into missions and reserves and treated as second-class citizens, you know, not to mention the brutality of that process as well. And it's only recently that Indigenous people were afforded equal rights and cultural recognition. So, you know, you can't turn that around overnight and still in all Indigenous people are the most disadvantaged. We have high rates of unemployment, incarceration, a lot of health problems, and these are because of the social determinants of health and mental health. Pat Dudgeon. Jacqueline McGowan-Jones from Thirily says it's important to understand that there are a number of misconceptions about the causes of Indigenous youth suicide. One of the challenges I think we face is that people talk about some of the symptoms rather than causality. So they talk about drugs and alcohol, they talk about young people in potentially violent relationships or they've had a relationship breakdown. They are symptoms rather than the causality and causality in almost every case for especially Indigenous young people is trauma and that trauma can be a whole range of things. It may be trauma due to attachment disorder related to being taken into out-of-home care. It may be trauma as many people have talked about, the DNA component of trauma through epigenetic memory in that we're an oral culture and we tell our history orally and in that case we can unknowingly re-traumatise future generations when we talk about some of the tragedies and challenges that have affected our people over many generations since colonisation. So trauma is 
almost always at the bottom of what is going on for somebody, whether that's resulted in a mental health diagnosis. I have a family member who's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder that started as self-harming and has led to significant numbers of serious attempts on their own life. The issue at the bottom of all of that for that family member is trauma and how do we get to work with our children and young people in particular to work through the trauma that they are experiencing or have experienced. Recently, there were three cases in the news in the Northern Territory of three young girls, all of whom had suffered sexual or other abuse, and that determines is causality. The event of the sexual abuse is not so much the issue. The issue is the trauma that caused that young girl that left her in a place without supports where she felt she had no one to help work through that trauma with and they took their own lives. So we need to understand that the trauma needs to be addressed significantly the trauma about being removed from family, culture and community and the impact that has on Indigenous Australians and the trauma they experience through that. Our children and young people are overrepresented in out-of-home care. So we know that roughly 70% of children in out-of-home care have been removed from their family due to neglect. The challenge is what is the cultural lens that you are viewing neglect through? If you grew up in, you know, a three-bedroom home with two bathrooms and a couple of TVs and both parents working and you've become a social worker and you then go to a home that is living in poverty, the cultural lens is vastly different and you determine perhaps that something is neglect when it's poverty and the family may in fact be safe. With those numbers of children in out-of-home care, and as those children and young people get older and they're further removed from their families, communities and culture, they've had attachment disorder which hasn't been addressed and other challenges facing them in their various cycle through what may be three, four, ten foster homes, the trauma becomes overbearing for them and we find them in situations where they are taking their own life. Children and young people are overrepresented in the criminal justice system and we need to look more deeply at what is the causality for the behaviours that cause those children and young people to end up in the justice system, and then how are we dealing with the trauma and providing the necessary services for those children and young people and other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who feel they are at a point where they have no choice but to take their own life. So Thierry supports Aboriginal people and families grieving after suicide. What support do you offer and how is this important to preventing suicide? The first thing is that we know there are people who are left behind who feel absolutely decimated and desolate following the loss of their loved one. And that can lead them to feel that they were to blame or they should have seen something that occurred, they should have known what was going to happen, they should have done something. And that feeling of desolation can lead them to feeling they need to take their own life. So the postvention space that Thiddley works in is a multi-focus space. The first is the immediate bereavement support. How do we support a family when they find out that they've lost a family member? to suicide and in the case of a community how does that community cope with that immediate death 
So the post-bereavement support, which is the common support provided through suicide postvention. The thing we do that is a bit different is that we do a lot of advocacy work for our Indigenous families post a suicide or a sudden unexpected death following a traumatic incident. So the incident may have occurred in the family home and uh, we may negotiate with a real estate agent or the landlord to enable the family to cut their lease short so they can find alternative accommodation because the trauma of staying in the home may be too great. We may then work the police and the coroner. We may work with them to negotiate with the funeral home and support them in those discussions and how to deal with the mortuary and transferring of the body, etc. So there's a range of advocacy that we do with our families and communities to make sure that they can focus as a family and or community on addressing their grief and coming together rather than trying to deal with all of those day-to-day issues. We work on a through care planning model, which is most well known in the justice sector, but it is about how do we support families and communities to connect to the right services and supports to bring them through that grief, loss and trauma. Earlier this year, the ABC interviewed staff from the Indigenous Critical Response Service that your organisation runs, who mentioned that with rising rates of youth suicide, some young Indigenous people see suicide as normal. What can we do to counter this? I think the first thing is we need to talk about it. And part of the problem for suicide for a very long time in all populations was that it was behind closed doors. And we know that if something's behind closed doors, you can't address it. We need to not be normalising this for our children and young people. One of the real values of postvention work is that we can work with a group of friends or family and talk through the issues and try to prevent what people may call, and I'm not a fan of the term, but may call copycat suicide which is not about somebody trying to copy the actual suicide. It's about somebody feeling so traumatised that they don't know what else to do and they then take their own lives. The postvention work is critical in trying to stop that cycle, thinking that the only way out of this is suicide yourself. So we need to talk about it. We need to be open about it. We need to be absolutely clear that causality primarily is trauma and that that may include group trauma. We also need to recognise that our young people are our future, and it is disappointing that notwithstanding the huge amount of funding that the Australian and jurisdictional governments have been putting into suicide prevention in recent years, that that is primarily going to mainstream organisations, and we know that our children and young people and our other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are taking their own lives often will not engage with a mainstream service. That includes not even visiting emergency departments in hospitals due to racism, which causes trauma itself, So we need to review the way in which funding is allocated. We need to focus and deliver funding to Aboriginal-controlled and led organisations so that we can ensure that our families and communities will approach those services for support. Jacqueline McGowan-Jones, CEO of Thirily. 
You're with All in the Mind on RN. I'm Lynne Malcolm. The suicide rate amongst Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities is twice that of the Australian general population. And even more concerning is the escalation of suicide in the very young. We're very proud of the report because it does reflect what the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community aspirations are and we believe that it provides a way of working towards addressing suicide in Aboriginal communities that very much put them at the centre of the issue. In 2016, Professor Pat Dudgeon led the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Suicide Prevention Evaluation Project. It assessed the effectiveness of existing suicide prevention programs. The two big issues that came out of that really is that One is about self-determination. So any group of people, but particularly Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, need to be in charge of identifying their problems, being supported to do that, and then to be part of the solution as well. There's a saying that actually comes from the consumer movement, nothing about us without us. But that's particularly so for Indigenous people. So self-determination at every level is important and any programs that are successful will have elements of self-determination in them, whether they're cultural renewal programs or clinical programs. But another important element is that programs should be culturally appropriate. They need to recognise and strengthen and acknowledge the culture of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. Pat Dudgeon. Adjunct Professor in Clinical Psychology Tracy Westerman is a Niamal woman from the Pilbara region in Western Australia. She's recognised as a world leader in Aboriginal mental health and is Director of Indigenous Psychological Services in WA. Tracy has specialised in developing culturally appropriate psychological services. And key to this, she says, is to ask why Indigenous suicide is increasing. I guess what I've spoken about quite a lot is that we often have confused risk factors for causes. Now, the reason why it's essential to get this right is because some factors can actually increase the likelihood of suicide. So, for example, alcohol, abuse, poverty, you know, experiences of colonialisation, they are the sorts of things that we would consider to be risk factors, but by themselves do not explain suicidal behaviours. What we have not done at a national level is determine the why, which is actually a causal pathway. So a causal pathway would be something like depression, it will be something like trauma, and essentially what I've spent the past 20 years doing is unlocking the why, which ensures our best opportunity of actually preventing suicides. If you eliminate a cause, you eliminate the end result, which is suicide. So that's why it's essential to be able to distinguish between risk and cause. So you've been working on culturally competent mental health services. What do they look like and how do you use those to help you with answering that question why? I guess what we've had to do is I find that big systems don't move very quickly unless you provide them with irrefutable evidence of cultural difference. So we've had to essentially apply the science around culture. So the first thing we've done is we've developed our own assessment tools which essentially tells us at the very starting point, do Indigenous suicides look different? Now, interestingly enough, that hadn't actually been really done before, not just in Australia, but also globally. But we are really actually looking fundamentally at 
are there different reasons as to why Indigenous people die by suicide compared to non-Indigenous, then what it means is that that informs treatment. So obviously if you get risk factors or causes wrong, then you get treatment wrong. So we've really had to start from scratch and really <laughs> challenge mainstream structures, but in a way that's irrefutably scientific, so it can't be dismissed. We um, went out and asked Aboriginal people, I guess, that had either lived experience of having suicidal impulses themselves or people in their families to really determine whether the nature of suicide actually looked different compared to what we're seeing in the mainstream. Now, that was really important, obviously, because if we understand better the early risk factors, the early warning signs, then we have our best opportunity of getting in there and doing early intervention and prevention. So it enables us to screen at a stage of early risk. Interestingly enough, I discovered very soon after the tools were developed that that, that hadn't been done in Australia before but also hadn't been done globally and in 2003, the Canadian government sent a delegation to Australia saying that this is something that needed to be replicated over there because we were actually looking at whether risk factors ultimately look different for Indigenous compared to non-Indigenous people. So what have you been able to find out about how Aboriginal people, particularly young people, experience mental health problems and are treated for them since these were developed? I guess it provides us with um, understanding of the why at a really fundamental level that enables clinicians to be able to then apply treatments and therapies to enable reduction in those unique risk characteristics. So what we've found is predominantly it's highly impulsive and the suicides seem to escalate, suicidal impulses seem to escalate very quickly and often it was in response to interpersonal conflict. And I guess those individuals who seem to look more at risk than others tended to look as if, it looks as if people have an overreaction to interpersonal conflict, but what that means is that they lack the ability to self-soothe or calm themselves. So that actually separates people who are suicidal from people who don't become suicidal, and that's that predominantly defines people who have trauma and attachment-based issues. Dr Tracy Westerman. Rowena Cox lost her son to suicide eight years ago. Now she's passionate about suicide prevention in her role in the Kimberley Aboriginal Suicide Prevention Trial. It's guided by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Suicide Prevention Evaluation Project, led by Pat Dudgeon, which we heard about earlier. Rowena draws on her own life experience to help and support others. I have a lived experience of suicide as well as other issues in my life. In the past, I've heard people talk about, you know, Aboriginal people having um, multiple layers of trauma in their life. And I sort of connected with that because during my lifetime, I've had a lot of traumas happen to me in my life. You know, I've, I've been experienced with um, neglect as I was a baby, you know, um, FASD. I was actually born with FASD. I was abused as a child. I had mental health at a young age and going through alcohol problems myself, trying to cope with my past experiences, even domestic violence and relationship problems as well. I've been through all of that. I've been through poverty as well. So I have all this lived experience that, you know, I, I can understand what people in my community are going through because I've actually lived it myself. I, I want people in my community to be educated about these issues. 
or they in turn know how to look after themselves when they're confronted with an issue and also to identify the issues that their loved ones or even themselves, you know, to identify if they're going through any uh, negative issues to get that appropriate help and support at that time for them. The year after Rowena's son passed away, she established a football team in memory of him. Like my son was a very talented footy player. He, he loved football. You know, when I tell him to do some chores around the house and he'd never listen, but then when his friends say, oh, come on, let's go have a game of footy, he'd be out the door. And um, but yeah, he was a talented footy player and all of his cousins and friends and schoolmates other family members came together and they said, oh, auntie, why don't you put a team together to remember our brother? And that's where it all started from. And it was really good because we attended the festival in Fitzroy and the whole team just went through there undefeated. And it was so overwhelming to see the, the emotion. It was very emotional. All the young men playing their hearts out. I mean, they, they didn't play with their heads, they actually played with their hearts, which is, yeah, it was a very emotional day. And, and they did it in memory of my son, which was so, I was so proud of them for doing that. But then when they found out on the last day that they were in the grand final and they were winning the whole community sort of, you know, it sort of uplifted the whole community. And I noticed now every game that I take them to, they're so proud to be a part of it because they know what, they're playing for. And every time I take them, I always encourage them, you know, the reason why we are there and what we are doing. And I try to tell them, don't be discouraged. You know why we're here. We're here just to promote suicide prevention in our communities. And I'm so proud because there's also been other young men on the team who've also lost their loved ones as well. And just seeing them play, you know, it's, it's just yeah, it's overwhelming and yeah. Beautiful, really. Rowena Cox. In June this year, Professor Pat Dudgeon, with other Indigenous researchers around Australia, released a report detailing the increased risk of suicide for Indigenous people during the COVID-19 pandemic. We were fortunate here in Australia that we had such a strong Aboriginal community-controlled health sector who actually kept our communities safe. So they moved quickly, they knew how to do things and kept our communities safe. But I think with the pandemic coming in, and as we've seen in other countries too, marginalised people do very worse off in pandemics. So they're more prone to being infected and dying from the virus than others due to the social determinants. So for us, the big issues that came out in our conversations that we had to develop the report was some of the issues that were already there in communities needed attention. So we needed better housing. There's chronic housing issues in most Aboriginal communities, whether they're remote or urban. So often houses were substandard or overcrowded. So we need to give attention to housing. We also needed a trained workforce that was able to service Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander families and communities. So these issues have been there before the pandemic, but they became more apparent during this time. So what is the way forward for Indigenous suicide prevention in Australia? 
In 2015, the government renewed Australia's national suicide prevention strategy. Pat Dudgeon explains how the specific issues relating to Indigenous suicide will be incorporated into this. What will happen with the National Suicide Prevention Strategy is that there will be a separate plan for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and that's important because while we need to be a part of the mainstream plan because um, responsibility for Aboriginal people are across a different number of different forums, mainstream needs to uh, not abdicate their responsibilities as well, but we also need a specific targeted suicide prevention plan that has come from the Aboriginal community that has met and talked with all the relevant stakeholders. So we need our own plan as well. So that is happening, I'm pleased to say, and Guy Dewey Proud Spirit will be leading the renewal of our own standalone Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander suicide prevention plan. This original Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander suicide prevention strategy was developed over 10 years and was completed in 2013, but it was never implemented by the Commonwealth. The Gaia Dewey Proud Spirit Australia is a suicide prevention leadership body just established in March this year. It will take the best of the fantastic original plan, which was very well consulted and well put together. So it'll take the best of that and recent developments. So we have the the Suicide Prevention Evaluation Report. We've got a community that's a lot more informed about what they think needs to happen for their own communities, what the issues are. So engaging with Indigenous stakeholders is really important because over the last few years we've seen the emergence of Indigenous lived experience groups, the emergence of LGBTIQ groups, who are more vulnerable in our overall group and there's leadership happening there and people um, very much wanting to speak for themselves and likewise with youth. So we have a number of youth groups and organisations who need to be a part, very much a part of this process and talk for themselves and say what's going to work for them. So what would you say overall are the key things that will make a difference specifically to Indigenous suicide? Oh, look, the key issues are, and I'm, I'm really pleased that I hear this echoed in many policy documents, is the involvement of people themselves. And even in the national plan, lived experience is at the centre of it all. So that's a big paradigm change that has happened. And also terms like wraparound services or holistic approaches, recognition of the social determinants that impact on people's well-being and recognition that suicide is a very complex issue. The big issues for me is to um, ensure that self-determination and co-design is a part at every different level and to ensure that culturally appropriate solutions are valued and recognised for Indigenous people. So how hopeful are you that enough of a difference is going to be made soon enough? 
I think there's already a big difference. You know, until recently, no one really spoke about suicide and wellbeing. I think that landscape's changed. There's now an openness in our society to talk and recognise that suicide is a big issue and it impacts on all of us. So that's the big change that has happened overall, but particularly for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander groups. So there's a recognition that this is everyone's problem and that everyone needs to be involved and everyone needs to take responsibility. So that is the big difference that I can see. Professor Pat Dudgeon, Posh Research Fellow at the School of Indigenous Studies at the University of WA. I asked clinical psychologist Tracy Westerman what her hopes are for preventing Indigenous suicide in Australia. Look, I guess it needs to be seen as a national priority and for some reason it For example, it hasn't been included in the Closing the Gap until just recently. We still don't have any clarity around the targets, around what suicide prevention will actually look like. We also, sadly, still don't have mental health in the Closing the Gap targets. So based on that, it just does not seem as if it's really a priority as the eternal optimist, I guess, what I've, what I've actually done recently is launched the Westerman Gillia Institute for Indigenous Mental Health and under that a Indigenous Psychology Scholarship Program which will enable us to develop a workforce that has capacity to be able to respond better to these unique issues in our remote communities at a much broader level than we're currently able to do, but also continue to drive clinical and cultural best practice across this country. But yeah, I think there are so many gaps that have not been addressed and I'm hopeful that they will be because the gaps are actually very clear. Adjunct Professor Tracy Westerman from Indigenous Psychological Services in Western Australia. Since Rowena Cox lost her son to suicide, she's been a passionate advocate for suicide prevention. She's encouraged by the progress she's seen so far. Um, I think more is being done now. You know, I've heard the government putting more money into suicide prevention. Yeah, I think really more manpower on the ground, you know, um, educating local people in the community and actually employing them as well to work in their own communities because they know the people, they know their own situation. Yeah. Yeah, just hope more of that happens. So what's your next step? What do you want to do next in your role? I guess keep doing it, whether I have a job or not. Um, It's my passion. I'm passionate about promoting suicide prevention. Yeah, and if I do end up not working, I'll still be taking my footy team around playing different communities. My goal is to go and play throughout the whole Kimberleys take the team to promote suicide prevention in the whole Kimberley. Over the past, we had not much support with suicide prevention in our community, but, you know, we mustn't give up. We have to keep going and try and get the whole community involved. Yeah, it just just breaks my heart every time I hear of um, young people passing away, even if they're not from my community. You know, I, I tend to shed a tear because I know exactly what their parents are going through and how their parents are feeling here. So I'll be doing this for a long time to come yet. I just really want to do to encourage other people, you know, to support suicide prevention. 
if I can get help and be where I am now, um, I mean, anyone can do it. Rowena Cox, Community Liaison Officer for the Kimberley Aboriginal Suicide Prevention Trial in Halls Creek. If anything you've heard in this program has caused you concern, contact Lifeline on 131114 or Suicide Callback Service on 13006594678467. And you'll find further links to support on our website. Look out for more of the ABC's coverage of NAIDOC Week 2020 via abc.net.au. Today's program was produced by Jane Lee and Diane Dean with sound engineer Isabella Tropiano. I'm Lynn Malcolm. Bye for now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.